Hello and welcome to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Baum. I'm here to share techniques and tools to help you engage with your audience and bring art, objects and ideas to life. So let's dive into this week's show. Hello and welcome back to the Art Engager podcast. I'm your host, Claire Bowne of Thinking Museum, and this is episode 88. So today I'm exploring a new subject. I'm going to be looking at play in museum education practice. So how can we bring more opportunities for play and be more playful with our participants in the museum? And in last week's episode, I talked about questions. We did a deep dive on open-ended questions, what they are, why they're important, and when you can use them. And then I explored lots of ways that we can ask more open-ended questions. So do go back and listen to episode 87 if you haven't already. And as always, if you'd like to support this show, please do so by treating me to a cup of tea on buymeacoffee.com forward slash Claire Bown. I'll put a link in the show notes. And you can also help to support this show by posting about it on your social media accounts and by sharing, liking, commenting on my social media feeds. Do recommend the Art Engager podcast to all your friends too. Thank you for your support. It really does help to keep the show going and growing. So now let's get on with today's show. So for today's episode, I was inspired by our new theme in the Slow Looking Club. So if you don't know this club, it's my free community on Facebook. And every two weeks we have a new theme. Right now, we're exploring play as the focus for our slow looking. So we're looking for depictions of play in art and perhaps playful approaches to art by artists and also how we can adopt a playful attitude to slow looking when we're out and about. And this all got me thinking about play in the museum. So In today's episode, I'm really going to explore how we can be more playful when we are with visitors. And by this, I mean visitors of all ages, not just with children. And how can we create more meaningful opportunities for play? So let's start by thinking what what about what play is? What comes to mind when you think of play? Well, I think we all know what play feels like and the problem with definitions is that they don't seem to really cover the breadth of feeling that play actually generates. It feels to me a little bit like trying to define something that's constantly changing its shape and form. But in general, from my reading and research around this subject, play can be defined simply as engaging in activity for pure enjoyment and recreation. It's a purposeless activity that brings joy and pleasure. So this means that when you're playing, you're not thinking about being productive or accomplishing a goal, winning a match or improving yourself. 
it's very much about being immersed in a moment-to-moment experience with no ulterior motive other than enjoyment. Now, play can be structured and it can be unstructured. So structured play will have some rules or a framework to it, whilst unstructured play or free play will be, well, much freer. And if you're in the museum um, and you're with an educator or a guide, you're much more likely to be engaged in structured play. That's because it's in a defined space, the museum space. There's a start an end time and it's likely that there'll be some directions or guidance involved too. So play sometimes needs rules but flexible rules and flexible rules that allow for creativity. I found a really nice quote that describes play as free movement within a more rigid structure. And this was by two game designers, Katie Salen Taken Bass and Eric Zimmerman. And in the book by Elliot Kai Key, Activity Based Teaching in the Art Museum, he says that every situation and every object presents a system offering different potentials for the free movement of play. Every art object offers itself up as an opportunity for play within and around it. And he also mentions that some museum professionals might be a bit reluctant to endorse the idea of museums as playgrounds, especially if this is associated with frivolity. I think some people, after all, see museums as quite serious places. But, he says, if play is defined as exploration and inquiry, both things that we love on this podcast, then museums are what he calls prime spaces for play. Now, play is not limited to physical activity either. There's lots of different types of play, from social play, that's when you're playing with others, taking turns, cooperating, collaborating. Constructive play, that's when you're doing arts and crafts, making music, building things. And fantasy play, using your imagination, doing role play or dress up. Now, when we were little, play was a central part of our lives and it was also central to our development. Children use play as a way to learn new things, to explore their surroundings and to get to know themselves better and others. But as we become older, like many things, we do them less, we play less. We may still play for fun, so we might play board games or a game of tennis or do an activity to relax and unwind. And even then, we may do these activities without a spirit of playfulness. I think as adults, we tend to think that play is for kids and that we can do perhaps more productive things with our time. But as George Bernard Shaw said, we don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing.
So play is productive and important for anyone and at any age. It helps us to stay happy, remain optimistic. It stimulates the mind, the imagination and keeps our social emotional skills sharp. So now we've had a bit of a a look at what play is, we're going to explore about how we can offer more opportunities to engage with play in the museum for all ages and especially for adults. So before we start, let's see if we can narrow down the qualities of play that we're looking for. So from all my research, it seems that the following qualities come up time and time again. So these are collaboration and connection, enjoyment and joyfulness, empowerment and meaning. These all come up time and time again as descriptors of qualities or qualities that you might find with playful experiences in the museum. Now, it also goes without saying that a museum experience um, that has all these qualities is also varied. So... You'll be working in a variety of different ways. You'll be working individually, in pairs, small groups, and as a large group. And that you will also offer your participants a variety of different strategies or multimodal strategies for each artwork or object too. These are the foundations for a playful approach. And the suggestions I'm going to share now are the activities or strategies that you'll use to achieve this. So here are some suggestions for creating more opportunities for play when you're with groups in the museum. So the first thing I want to say is that interpretation and discussion are play. So as we've already mentioned, museums really are these ideal spaces in which to play. And in guided tours or educational programs, we can offer some really playful components. And these can be as simple as exploration, observation, discovery and experimentation. Now, in one of my favourite books, Teaching in the Art Museum, Interpretation as Experience, Elliot Kaiki and Rika Burnham expand upon this idea of interpretive play. They suggest that interpretation itself becomes a mode of play because it allows for the continuous emergence of unexpected insights and interpretations. They say that artworks play to an audience by acting on them and catching their attention and making us wonder out loud. And when we're with visitors and we're discussing artworks or objects, we're playing with ideas. There are surprising discoveries and insights throughout the discussion. Uh, The conclusion might be unclear and there is this back and forth in investigation and exploration of the artworks. We might be using thinking routines or open-ended questions and we're wondering out loud. All of this is play itself. It's a really joyful experience and everyone in the group enjoys the process as much as any conclusion we might reach. That's if we reach a conclusion. So this is play as a way to learn about art or objects. And I think it's all the more enjoyable because we're doing this as part of a group. So when we create these engaging discussions in the museum on our programs, we're engaging in what I like to call 
collaborative play. And when we interact with others to discuss an artwork or an object, we're entering into this collaborative play together. It's sociable, enjoyable, and it's supported and guided by us, by museum educators and guides. So the second thing I want to mention is about creating more opportunities for slow looking. So when we take the time to explore something slowly, to appreciate its beauty, notice the small things and be present with that artwork or object, we're engaging in slow looking. And looking can always be playful. It doesn't have to be silent or reverent. It doesn't have to be static or still. And as I explain in my guide, How to Look at Art Slowly, there are so many ways that you can play with looking and use looking as an entry point into exploring that artwork. So these different activities, and I've got 30 different activities in that guide, are in essence playful, whether they're encouraging you to look by movement, by observation or by writing. It's getting you to think about the act of looking and what you can do to see more. It invites you to take in the whole picture and not miss any details. And doing this can be fun. You know, noticing more helps to make what you're looking at more interesting. And even if at first you don't think there's a lot to see, over time, the details will reveal themselves. So indulge in some playful, slow looking with your groups and share with them a variety of ways that they can look at art with objects and indeed anything because these are skills that they can take with them when the museum visit is over and they can playfully use these skills in their own lives. So the third approach is about engaging the senses. So bringing the senses more fully into our programs invites more opportunities for play. So this brings to mind the recent incident um, in which a, a sculpture by Jeff Koons, a balloon dog sculpture, was accidentally knocked over by an art collector and it was shattered on the floor of a gallery. And if you haven't seen this artwork, um, I'll describe it for you. It's literally a balloon animal. It looks exactly like one. And the shape of this sculpture really invites play. It invites curiosity, it invites touch. As soon as you look at it, you're wondering what it's made of or how it might feel. And this reminds us that we really need to make opportunities in museums to use more of our senses, not just our visual sense. How can we bring in the other senses? And this is even more important in a place such as a museum where touching is often not allowed. So making more opportunities for other senses to come into our programs would invite more opportunities for play. So think about how you could bring objects that visitors could touch to replicate the feel of an object that they can't touch. Maybe you can bring in fabrics or metal or wood to represent something that's on display. 
Or you could think about how you might use the imagination to invoke the sense of hearing. What might you hear if you stepped inside this painting? What might you be able to touch or smell? So be playful and think of opportunities to bring in more of the five senses into your programs throughout. Okay, the next approach is to use thinking routines. So you can use thinking routines to provide a flexible structure to your play in the museum and to encourage participants to use their imagination, follow their curiosity and wonderings. So you might want to start with See, Think, Wonder as it's a good routine to get started with, but it's a core thinking routine. So it's suitable for use with all sorts of artworks, objects and materials. And See, Think, Wonder provides a really simple scaffold for the thinking, starting with observation, moving on to interpretation and wondering. So maybe you could look at objects that have a sense of mystery, maybe objects or artworks that you don't know all the answers to, and neither does the museum or the curators. And maybe you'd like to use See, Think, Wonder to ask your participants to explore and to discover and to see where their thoughts take them. You might want to listen to episode 56, which is learning to love boring objects through slow looking. And this will give you some inspiration on perhaps how you might work with hidden and untold stories and with an object where we simply don't have all the answers. Or you might want to try something like beginning, middle, end, where you could imagine the possible stories that may have become come before or after a scene in an artwork. This one really gets the imagination going. You, if you want, you can have your groups to tell or act out their stories in dramatic ways too. Or you could use something like creative comparisons to encourage metaphorical and creative thinking. Okay, the next suggestion are, is all about games. So games and play are made for each other. And if you go back to episode 45, that's the one where I talk with uh, voiceover artist and actor Samantha Boffin. And in that episode, we're talking about how you can use improv in the museum. And Samantha mentions that as children, we used to improvise all the time through play. But as adults, we get fearful about doing it. So one way we can bring back this spirit of play is to bring more games into our programs in the museum. Now, these could be improv games. And in that episode, Samantha lists quite a few improv games that you could try, such as narrative, colour, emotion and line by line stories. So do go and listen to that. Or you could use something like Yes And. And I've used it before as an observation game. I talk about this in episode 59. Um, and it's a way of observing and describing an object, but doing it by taking turns using yes and. So bear in mind that you can turn any activity into a game to introduce more playfulness. So even using a timer, I love setting a timer with groups and asking them to compete in teams 
to see who can find the most details in an artwork. It really helps the group to focus and it's a lot of fun. So next we're going to look at movement. So movement-based activities will really allow more play in the museum. Now whenever I mention movement or embodiment there is always sometimes a little frisson of apprehension. But as I discussed a while ago with Rachel Rowe Peak in episode 72, movement can mean many things. It can be as simple as copying the posture of a figure in a painting or just answering the question, what does this artwork ask you to do? And using movement rather than words as a response. It can be stepping inside a figure in a painting and then acting out a full narrative about who that person might be and what they might perceive, know or care about. And with movement, it really helps you to know your audience and choose your movement activity accordingly. And it can be very simple. It can be a way of looking at your objects, you know, moving from sitting down to standing up or lying down to look at something. It doesn't have to be complicated and it certainly doesn't have to involve pretending to be a tree as you might have done in drama class at school. You need to take into account who the group are and what they will feel comfortable doing and what you will feel comfortable facilitating. Now, I once took part in a workshop that I've never forgotten where we had to choreograph a dance to a painting that we were assigned to. We were given some music and a painting and we had to make up our own interpretive dance. Now, at the start, I was really nervous about doing this, but I got really into it. I got so much into it that I didn't mind the performance aspect at the end. So bear in mind that with movement, people may surprise you too. Okay, number seven is drawing, sketching, doodling and scribbling. So these can all be used to create more opportunities for play when you're with groups. But always start with the end in mind. So what is your goal for using drawing as an activity? So if you're using it for slow looking, as I talk about in episode 25, then you'll want to emphasise a lot that this is an observation exercise and not a drawing one. It's not a test of how good your drawing skills are. It's more of a test of how to use your eyes. And you might want to explain that when people are learning how to draw, they learn how to observe first. Being a sketcher makes you a better observer. So all, saying all of this will help to allay any fears about not being any good at drawing. And in that episode, I also shared some thinking routines that you can use for slow looking and drawing. And I share lots of tips about how to get over any drawing apprehension too. Otherwise, you can also use drawing as a mindfulness activity. And this is what I chatted about um, in episode 61 with Carly Allen. You can use viewfinders too. You might want to use viewfinders just to focus on specific details in artworks. So the penultimate approach is using writing. So creative and reflective writing can inspire play too. So art, looking at art has been used for 
throughout the ages as a way of finding inspiration and creativity. And it's frequently been a source of inspiration for writers and poets. And I think it will work for your participants too. Now, is writing play though? Yeah, definitely. It really depends how you set it up. If you bring in the collaborative play aspect I was talking about at the beginning, you could get your group to do activities together. So perhaps they could create collaborative poetry from a word bank of nouns and adjectives that they've used to describe an artwork. Or they could develop characters from portraits or compose dialogues or fill in speech bubbles. You could also do individual or imaginative writing. So you could do quick journal or diary entries or get them to write postcards home. These are all ways that anyone can invite more playfulness into their museum experience through imagination, curiosity and creative expression. And the last one. This one is a fun one. I really enjoy using prompts, provocations and quotes. And I love using these to introduce an element of chance into the proceedings. So I have a nice collection, quite a selection, of these types of cards and they ask questions. Some of them are general card packs and some relate to artworks or museums. So what I often do is I would ask a group member to pull a card from the pack so it's random and then there I might invite the group to discuss possible answers. So here are a couple of random examples that I pulled from a few card packs. So the first one, look for something round, something blue, something irregular. Uh, close your eyes and listen. What does art sound like? Or look for a strange piece of art. Give it a new title that creates a different meaning. And finally, imagine you are a sculpture. Create a shape. So these cards contain questions, prompts, quotes, statements, and they really introduce the unexpected into your program. You can use them how you want, but I think they certainly introduce more fun and playfulness into my programs. So that's it for today. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode all about play. I've certainly enjoyed putting these ideas together and researching this subject. Let me know if you're going to incorporate any of these into your programs. And by the way, if you're interested in using thinking routines, I've just updated my ultimate thinking routine list for 2023. There are now over 120 thinking routines on the list. I'll add a link to the updated list in the show notes. So thanks for listening today. I'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Bowne. You can find more art engagement resources by visiting my website, thinkingmuseum.com. And you can also find me on Instagram at Thinking Museum, where I regularly share tips and tools on how to bring art to life and engage your audience. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share with others and subscribe to the show on your podcast player of choice. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.